0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hi, I'm Lisa Berkowitz, and you are listening to Sorry Partner.
3: Hello, and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Startz. On today's program, we talk with American champion Lisa Berkowitz about multitasking, knowing your system, and keeping cool under pressure. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz! Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine?
1: Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I was not so great. Remember how we missed a bridge lesson a week ago? Oh, yes. Our teacher had to cancel a week. I was really experiencing withdrawal. (laughs) Um, So I realize I am quite addicted to those bridge lessons to the extent... Oh, my gosh. A friend invited me to go hear this incredible conductor, Gustavo Dudamel, at the symphony. And I said, what night? And it's the night of our bridge lesson. There's no way. I'm (laughs) sorry. I'm passing up (laughs) Dudamel, which is kind of insane. But that's how much I cannot live without those bridge lessons. Just... Having experienced that recently, it was, it sort of cast a pall on my entire week. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We've got your priorities straight. I like this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Did your friend understand? I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. But, you know,
1: my friends are used to my obsessions at this point. So it's okay. But, but is your friend a bridge player? Yes, she is. Yes, she is. But she's not as. I would say, um, obsessed obsessed as maybe some of us.
3: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And we'll be right back.
3: So Jocelyn, a lot of podcasts would probably have some kind of endorsement or advertising at this spot.
1: Yes, but not us.
3: Not us. Not us. (laughs) But we'd love to have some support because it's the two of us toiling away In the dark caves of our office, bringing this merriment to you week after week. (laughs) We've had some great letters from people and we know people are enjoying the show, but really it would be so helpful if people could donate. So how do people become part of the team? Well, the best way is through our Patreon page. It's really easy. If you Google Sorry Partner Podcast Patreon, and that's
1: spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, You will find the link or you can find the link in our show notes. And where are the show notes? So the show notes are the details about the episode. If you are listening on your phone or your tablet Mm -hmm. or in an app, you just click on the episode and you scroll down and you see more information about the show as well as the links,
3: including the support this show. Fantastic. And the website is shows.acast.com. Dot com slash sorry hyphen partner. So we hope to hear from you, and then we'll be able to say support for Sorry Partner comes from listeners like you. And we're back, Jocelyn. We've had a bit of feedback about our discussion last week on gloating. Oh, a couple of letters in the mailbag. Yes, <laughs> interesting. Interesting indeed. Like pro-gloating or (laughs) (laughs) anti-gloating? Well, I think they just took gentle issue with some of our points of view. I'm very interested to hear these. Okie dokie. Well, how about I read them to you? So our first letter is from Len, and he is from the San Francisco Bay Area. He says, Hey, we were just listening to your podcast. I'm not sure I understood one of your complaints, but let me know if this is relevant. Sometimes, Online or in person, opponents will have a ridiculous result. For example, ideal, favorable, and the auction goes one club, one heart. Pass, two diamonds, pass, pass, pass. They play two diamonds in their 3-1 fit instead of two hearts in their 5-3 fit and go (laughs) down four for minus 400. And they're in a bad mood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I might ask, what was two diamonds? This is not gloating. Okay. Okay. If they misclicked or thought their partner had overcalled one no trump and two diamonds was forcing stamen or anything else like that, no big deal. However, sometimes an odd number of people remember an agreement, maybe two diamonds showed a good single raise in hearts. If that's the case, then they're obligated to alert. Maybe we make four spades and we would have taken one more trick on defense if we'd had correct information rather than the misinformation when they failed to alert. Note, each side is obliged to call the director once an infraction is pointed out. But accidents aren't infractions, and I don't know whether to call the director until I find out what two diamonds means by agreement.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And I guess he's checking to make sure that he wasn't damaged. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel that is the same thing as what I'm complaining about. Although I guess it it could be in some situations. I just think when things have gone off the rails and it's it's very clear there's been a miscommunication that leads to a terrible result. And it's not really a matter of figuring out whether they were damaged by the misinformation. It's
3: just out of curiosity. What was that meant to be? So you think, They understand something's going on and they're not really wanting to clarify anything. They are actually asking just to jab a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's been my sense with the kind of gloating that I'm specifically complaining about, which is different from checking for misinformation and checking to see if you've been damaged in any way. And I get that. And I think Len probably plays at a more sophisticated level. Then I do so that he is thinking about those sorts of things a bit
3: more than I am. Got it. Got it. We have also heard from Steve, another Steve. We have a number of Steves who have written to us. And Steve says, I love the podcast, but your take on so-called gloating is as (laughs) misguided as opening One No Trump on 22 points. (laughs) (laughs) Then he says, to say or type, well done partner, is a simple part of social discourse, whether or not the statement is objectively true. It's not aimed at the opponents, and those who take umbridge might seek the offending party in a mirror. Bridge, however seriously we may take it, is at heart a game, and a game best played by living, breathing, thinking, and interacting human beings who enjoy each other's company no matter what the stakes. <laughs> to quote sailing guru Dr. Scott Walker, winning may be the object of the game, but it's not the object of playing the game. If someone says, we really beat your butt on that hand, yeah, <laughs> sure, floating and out of place at the table. But praising and encouraging partner, nothing but good comes from that. So there you are, Jocelyn. What's, what are your thoughts? Okay
1: interesting
3: yeah (laughs) well
1: I find it annoying that's all (laughs) maybe I I should look in the mirror I guess is what he said but I do find it I find it annoying when it's not some wonderful thing that partner has done basically when it's the fault of the opponents when they say well done partner it's like yeah it wasn't anything that you did that was great it was because we screwed
3: up yeah I wonder if your feelings about it and my feelings about it are a little conditioned by the way we first came across this etiquette. Because as I said to you during the episode last week, I've always used to say, well done partner, but I certainly wasn't gloating. It's just that when I learned to play, it was just what you did. And so I never right. even processed it from the opponents because I just it just went into that blur of this is just a social nicety you exchange. And I never attributed any meaning to it. But maybe when you particularly we're learning to play online. Maybe people didn't do it. The community that you were playing in didn't do it. And so you you noticed it more. It had a different meaning to you.
1: Well, interestingly enough, I think I had a partner who did not like it when Ah. I said, well done partner to her. There you go. Because she was concerned about how it could make the opponents feel bad. And that clued me in to that mode of thinking, which was very different from, and this was a few years ago. This is a while ago. And so once I was attuned to that kind of thinking, I started noticing it and realizing that it's just better to do it away from the table and say, good job. Yeah, it was really good. Even when it's like something amazing that partner has done. And I've seen you do some amazing things. And I do really want to say that was great. But I wait and, <laughs> and do it away.
3: Yeah, but it does go to my point, I think. And, you know, once you pointed it out to me, I suddenly became aware of it. And now I'm very self-conscious about it. So, yes, I think had someone pointed it out to me very early on, I probably also would not have done it. But just for you, Jocelyn, from somebody who was never fully aware of that, I think there is a group of people that maybe don't process it in the same way. So I don't know that everyone is as mindful of the way it comes across. Let's just say that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, and Stephen, I
1: think your partners are probably very lucky that they have such a gracious partner. You know, I think my partners don't expect me to say WDP in the chat to the table and they're okay with it.
3: So there you go. Thanks, Jocelyn. <laughs> <laughs> We've got one more letter. This is from Jim in the Chicago area. And Jim writes, hi, Jocelyn and Catherine, my partner and I never type WDP." We think it is ridiculous, and it is not (laughs) consistent with the way we play in person. At the club, we try to have fun. We never argue with one another. We are always pleasant with our opponents, and we try to smile and laugh. I have found that I can play better when I keep it light. So, not sure what the acronym is for good podcast, but I will make one up. GP, he's written in (laughs) capital letters with an exclamation point. Could be WDP well done podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. From now on, whenever I see WDP, I'm going to think well done podcast. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) That's terrific.
1: (laughs) So if you've got any good stories or comments or follow ups about previous episodes, please send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at Instagram or leave us a voice message. These links are on the website and in the show
3: notes, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Lisa Berkowitz.
1: American champion Lisa Berkowitz is the matriarch of a bridge dynasty. She is married to David Berkowitz, is mother to Michael Berkowitz and Dana Berkowitz, and is mother-in-law to Chris Wilenkin. She holds 17 National Bridge titles and has won the World Team Championships and placed second with her team at the IOC Grand Prix. We began by asking
2: about her best or worst board of the week. So my favorite hand didn't happen last week. It actually happened about 26 years ago. And I was playing with my son, who was then eight years old. It was his very first ever duplicate. He was playing with me as his partner in an open side game as an introduction to the National Bridge Tournament. So it was an interesting position. I had actually requested to play with him in the newcomer game. I wanted to make sure he did things in tempo and that he was pleasant to all his opponents. You know, a mother. I was being a mother. But they said, no, you can't play in the novice game with him because you have too many master points. He has to play with you in the open. And I will say one thing. Here I am bringing an eight-year-old boy into a side game at a Nationals. (laughs) So it's not people who really know me, friends and family who are going to be supportive. Everybody was terrific to him. He was terrific to all of them. And we get to some hand and we are defending four spades. And I lead the king of some suit. We have never been in this entire auction. The opponents get to four spades. I lead the king of a suit. Dummy has ace and some length. Declara plays the ace. And Michael starts giggling and he roughs it. He had none of this suit. He now, there is a singleton, Jack in the dummy, and he now leads a low of something else to my hand. I won the queen. Declara had the king, and I give him another rough. And so we went back and forth cross ruffing I think we went plus 400. He was giggling. The opponents were giggling. We were cold for five of a minor, the same 400. But here we went plus 400, defending four spades, undoubled, just back and forth. And everybody at the table had such a good time that I actually wrote it up for the daily newspaper. And it was later picked up by somebody. Philip Alder picked it up. And it appeared in many, many newspapers of the time. So it shows that you can be young and have fun. And that's what this game is really supposed to be about. So that's my favorite deal ever. That's terrific.
1: Who is the most interesting person you've ever played with
2: or against at Bridge? Well, when I was in China, I visited there as part of Kathy Wei's women's team. And we had wonderful exposure there in many different ways. We actually played a match against the Chinese women that was viewed by more people than one can begin to imagine because bridge is incredibly popular in China. But we also got to go to the Great—I think it was called the Great Hall. It's a long time ago. The Great Hall of the People and play against Deng's son, and that was pretty exciting. Everybody we played with was somebody high up, the architect of the building, and Deng's son, and various people in the government that had arranged for for many things but a very exciting time. She was extraordinarily important to Chinese bridge. Another very exciting person who I got to spend a little time with. And in fact, just yesterday, I'm sitting in David's office, which is all about bridge. And we have all these pictures and memorabilia here. And I was showing a friend of mine, a relatively new friend, the most famous person that I'd ever been photographed with, I think. And that was of course, when we won our the world championships in Tunisia, the person who gave us our medals was Omar Sharif. So that was, he was really the most famous, known by everybody person that I had dealings with.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
2: Could you tell us about your earliest memory of Bridge? I started playing Bridge when I was in college. In fact, I was a senior. And interestingly, we would come home every day for lunch. I lived in a sorority. We played lots of different card games, but we would always arrange to be home because at that time, Jeopardy! used to be on. This is before Alex Trebek, but it was a very popular show in my sorority. We all came home to watch Jeopardy! And then we would play spades, hearts. And finally, one day, one of the ladies that I played with said, you know, I don't know why we're doing this. Bridge is so much a better game. Why don't we play bridge? And that was my first experience. I went to Cornell. Cornell had a very active bridge scene, but I never was part of it because I I started just too late. But following that, I went home for the summer and my father was a great card player. Didn't know anything about bridge, but I taught him the very little bit I knew. And together we decided we would go into the local town and we would play duplicate. We I wasn't quite sure what it was and whether they were going to kick us out. There were no novice games back then. I'm talking about 1974. It was a sink or swim tournament world. Do you remember actually going to the club, that first experience? I do. I remember the club. The club was in the basement of a bank in Monticello, New York. And that very night, I met two people who are still active in the bridge world. One of them was the director, who was a, a fellow Cornelian. And I believe his name was Norm Rubin. And he said to me, I'll introduce you to more bridge players, and I'll teach you to be a better player. And I said, that's very kind. And I, you know, I like that a lot. I was a little skeptical what this all meant. And in fact, he did. And one of the people he introduced me to, who was, I think, 10 or 11 at that time, was Stevie Weinstein. If you know of Levin and Weinstein, Stevie, I have known him since he's 10 or 11 years old. So that was how I started to play bridge.
3: Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Do you remember what it looked like, what it smelled like,
2: how you felt when you walked in the door? I was certainly very nervous. And I didn't know if we should go in and play or if we should go in and watch. And they said, of course, you should come in and play. And in fact, this other person who's still involved in bridge, his name is Jared Lillianstein, happened to be playing with his father that day. So these are two people that I know from the very first duplicate I ever played. We had boards, I believe, just like you do now. I'm sure that we were well below average. We didn't know very much, but people were very kind and helped us along and we got better. And when did you realize that you were good at bridge? I took a year off after college and I didn't play any bridge. And then I went to grad school in New York and my mother had a friend who I was very friendly with, who played a little bridge. And she said, why don't I take you to the club? So I started to play in clubs in Manhattan. And I started to get better because we played with some more regularity. And she taught me things. It was all learning by being around and and picking it up. I remember people didn't want to play with me because I played strong two bids. I didn't know what a weak two bid was. And they didn't want to play with someone who knew so few conventions that they didn't even know what a week two bid was. But one person saw me and said, I think we'll we'll be a good pair. And we started to play. And Eric took me to my first ever sectional tournament, which was in Long Island. And it was a mixed pairs sectional. And that was the summer of Son of Sam. Now you're from California and you're from Australia. Well, you married him, right? So, well, I married someone by the same name. (laughs) Yeah. So David Berkowitz, that was the summer of Son of Sam. We went into this tournament and David was playing with Kathy Wei, who I talked about having taken me to China. And Eric said to me, do you know who she's playing with? And of course I knew nobody. He said, well, he says, his name is David Berkowitz. I said, oh my God. He said, yup. Not son of Sam, the other David Berkowitz. So that was how I, the very first tournament, he was pointed out to me. And then actually the very following Monday, that was a Friday. And on Monday, I was a CPA, David is, was a CPA. And we were both working in a building that had a cafeteria on the 25th floor, I remember. He worked for a, a CPA firm that was in the building and I was auditing I I worked for a different CPA firm, but I was in the building auditing Paramount Pictures. And I saw him sitting by himself in the cafeteria. So I went up to him and I said, are you the other David Berfowitz? And he looked at me and I said, well, we have a mutual acquaintance or friend. And that was how we met. That's amazing. So that was my first ever sectional. I played my first ever tournament with David. I had had several other bridge partners, some of whom were really good, and they were bringing me along, but I'm not sure that I really realized I was good. I'm not sure that I ever thought I was a great player. I never devoted that full-time effort to being the best at this. But Lisa, you
3: are very good at this game. so. When did you start to feel that it was
2: coming together for you? When I started playing with David, but it also changed a lot. In the very beginning, when he was trying to impress me, he was making sure that I had a wonderful time every time I played. When he felt that I was getting good, it changed the tenor of the game between us. And suddenly there was an expectation that I was now good, so I think that winning made me feel like I was good. I'm a good competitor I'm a good competitor in many things in sports that I'm not as good as as my results because I don't lose my cool when things go poorly, and things always go poorly. There isn't a single bridge game that you will ever play in that. You don't have one hand that you regret something. And the harder you are on yourself, and if you really stick it to yourself, then you're not going to succeed. So you have to be kind to yourself. You have to get over the bad board and just, it's gone, it's done, and I'm ready to start anew. I have that attitude. I think that is what makes me a winner more than my skill. Was it something that you had to work towards or was it something that
1: you felt like you could do, you could implement that as an advantage,
2: as an edge right away? So my husband reads nothing except for bridge and the newspaper. And he reads it all the time. He can finish playing all day and all night to relax, to unwind. He reads a bridge book or he reads the bulletin, or he goes online and he watches Bridge. I don't do that. I am not a student of the game. I have natural talent that is definitely limited by the fact that I have not ever wanted to focus exclusively on Bridge. We could be playing, David and I, and... He is a hundred percent there, but I'm also thinking about what are we doing for dinner? What were the children doing? Who was watching them? Did they get the right? I had a lot of things on my mind, and I didn't want to be a hundred percent devoted to Bridge. In fact, you know, we talked about my trip to China, it was very hard for me. I was gone for 17 days away from my growing children. It's a very difficult thing for, I would say, most mothers. And Bridge is not very kind to mothers. Is there an element of your game that you have
1: noticed over time has gotten better?
2: Well, I certainly have with my favorite partners, and that would be my children and my husband, our bidding has gotten much more sophisticated over time. The Play of the Hand, the best book that was ever written on Play of the Hand was written, I think, in the 40s or something. Watson's Play of the Hand, it's still classic. That doesn't really change. Defensive methods change. You know, we play upside down. We used to play right side up. Is that better? Is it worse? I think upside down is probably better. Save winners, throw losers. But not not so substantially. Defense hasn't changed that drastically. What really has changed and improved, I think, is bidding. Do you have a personal
3: motto or catchphrase that you use or you think of when you're playing bridge or preparing
2: for a game? Well, because I'm dealing with negative feelings aroused from stress arising from it. Expectations. I tell myself all the time remember now you're playing a game and you're there to have a good time, to have fun. Don't get too down on yourself. No matter what happens, treat the next hand like a new beginning. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you while playing bridge? Well, I'm, I'm going to say that the funniest thing that ever happened to me was when I went to register for a tournament many years ago right after I won the world championships in Tunisia, they used to, at world championships, they had a special registration line for world champions. And David and I and our children, they were 10 and 12 at the time, went into the hall to see where registration was. And they said, oh, Mrs. Berkowitz, you have to come over here. And I said, oh, and they said, yeah, here's a special line for world champions. I said, oh, thank you. And they said, oh, and your husband can come too. (laughs) And my children loved that. That was a favorite. (laughs) That's great. That's great. (laughs) Do you have a favorite
1: bidding convention or gadget that you really love to play? Well,
2: I really, really do like support doubles. I think it's very important. Larry's been a very influential person in our lives. And knowing how many trunks you have. and Is that Larry it, Cohen? It is Larry Cohen. It's really important to know whether you're dealing with an eight-card fit or a nine-card fit. It makes a huge difference at knowing how, how high you can compete safely. And that's probably my single favorite convention.
1: Are there any conventions that you think are a waste of time or generally overrated?
2: I think most particularly intermediate and low advanced players use too many conventions and they probably don't discuss the ones that they use extensively enough to know what happens in various situations. So I, say, I would say that having too many on your plate and not being comfortable with what you're doing at the table is something I really encourage people not to do. Kiss is my favorite. Keep it simple. Stupid. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Does something in particular come to mind when you think about people using conventions without a full understanding or full
2: discussion? Even if we go back to my convention, support doubles. So it's important to know whether you still have them on when the opponents bid in o trump naturally. Is your double now support or is it, is it extra values and, and penalty-oriented? So people don't discuss it enough. How high do you play it? Do you play it over a minor? These are the kinds of things people don't discuss. Right. Got it. Yep. Yep. Two level
1: versus three level or yeah. Is it over diamonds? Right. Correct.
2: Lisa, what's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? I think the best advice I've ever been given is that you should start each hand a new deal with the same amount of consideration and thought as every other deal. The last hands, often we look to race to get out of the room, we're, we're done, let's see how we did. But that last hand counts just as much as every other hand. So it's really important not to lose your focus before you, the, the game is actually over, to stay in the moment right through every hand. And in duplicate, every hand is equally important so one no Trump is just as important as six spades in duplicate. So it's important to keep that in mind. You, you need to take as many tricks as possible all the time. Lisa, thank you so much
3: for joining us today. It was terrific. Thank you. It was really great. Well, thank you so very much for
2: having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. And that's the show.
3: Many thanks to our guest, Lisa Berkowitz. Sorry Partner is produced by Katherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboi. Thank you also to our friend Larry Cohen.
1: Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message and please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are in the show notes and on the website along with some other good stuff. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well.
3: May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Lisa says, don't lose your focus. Every hand is equally important. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) (laughs)